You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. So I think we live in a day and age where the world has gone very small and information travels very, very quickly. And all of a sudden, we, uh, you can call, you can text, you can email, uh, whatever the case may be. We have all these social media platforms where we get our news, all these apps and news alerts. We're constantly bombarded with information. And may I add the most, that most of this information is troubling to us. Uh, I don't think it's helping more than it's actually dam- doing damage, right? It, it frustrates us. It makes us discouraged and anxious and fearful and even angry. And I would, I would say that that explains in large, uh, in large part the current mood of our, of our society, of people in general, even of, of, of us. The more we know, I think the, the worse we feel. And all of a sudden, we know what's going on around the world. We know what's going on in our friends' lives. And we have all this information. It could be very frustrating. It could be very troubling. Now, that being said, I want to give us a bit of a perspective. So let's think for a moment what it must be like to be God. I know it's quite a question. We can't go far with that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but, but God knows everything, right? He knows everything. He can't just ignore all that is happening on planet Earth. I don't think he wants to ignore that. <laughs> Some people will probably want to say that, yeah, he wants to ignore that. But no, no, no. God, God wants to know. But, but God sees everything. God hears everything. God, God knows everything. And if we, if we have a right to get frustrated, right, or angry, or upset, or demand change, because there are so many evil things that happen right in front of our eyes, and we're like, I can't believe that happens, and we get frustrated, we get angry at that, right? So if we have a right to get frustrated, God has that right a million times more than we do. We actually don't even have that right, God does, (laughs) but just go with it. And God has been, just imagine, God has been viewing, and God has been hearing all of human conduct for all of human history. Imagine all the evil that his eyes have, you know, seen and heard and all. Wow. And what's going to happen here in Daniel 5, we're going to see where God finally reaches his boiling point and he responds with justice. And so we're going to jump right in and we're going to hear about this magnificent day, a day of justice and judgment, where God shows up in power. Now, um, the first thing, or at least one of the overarching uh, principles that we're going to see in chapter 5 is that God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. So let's just start reading. Uh, We're going to actually read every verse um, and then we're, uh, we're going to read a few at a time, and we're going to stop and, and see what God um, is telling us uh, through this chapter. So let's read verses 1 to 4. So Daniel 5, 1 to 4. Let's get reading. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of God and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. 
Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the God of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Let's just stop there for a second. Throughout the Bible, God has feasts and festivals put in place for his people. This is where people um, you know, are supposed to take a day off or a few days off, get together, have something to, to eat, have something to drink, throw a party to celebrate God and to celebrate all the blessings that come from God. We call these holidays, believe it or not, which literally means holy days. Have you ever thought about that, by the way? (laughs) Holy days, holidays, wow. Uh, uh, They are days set apart for the Lord. But what we see here in our text, Daniel 5, is the counterfeit. Everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. The king that we read about in this chapter, King Belshazzar, is a different king than Jesus. This is a different kingdom than God's. This is a different kind of party than the one that we throw every Sunday for our Lord Jesus Christ, so to speak. And they're getting together to do that which is evil and abominable in the sight of God. By the way, in that time, not sure if you, if you knew this, but they would call their fathers and they would call their grandfathers fathers. So this king, King Belshazzar, is actually the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. Not the son, but the grandson. And this grandson here is, he's kind of a spoiled third generation trust fund rich kid. That's, that's, you know, how I can describe him. So the grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, was a mighty king and he was a warrior and he was a prominent, he was prominent in the storyline up until chapter four, right? And then, and then, and the father was king now. And the father is away at this point. So this kid is assuming the throne. This is literally a high school movie, right? Dad's away, and the spoiled rich kid throws a big drinking party at his dad's house. That's exactly what is happening here. And here's who shows up. The Bible tells us that a thousand of his lords, well, that's a lot of people, right? These would have been certain political leaders of certain status. In addition, there would have been other men, probably his friends, uh, right, present with their wives and their concubines. And by the way, concubines were pretty much sexual partners that were considered secondary class. And then their servants were there as well. So what I'm saying is it was a lot of people. So commentators will estimate that there were upward of 15,000 people at that party. Now, just, yeah, not everyone says that, but some say that. So a pretty big party nevertheless. So everybody's dressed up, or maybe I should say not really dressed uh, this is a big deal. There's a red carpet. Everyone's taking selfies. There are a lot of perverse and perverted things going on. This is all going in the wrong direction. Archaeologists have actually discovered, they have actually unearthed this palace, and they say it was about the same size as the main section of the White House. So a massive place, a massive party. Now, let me just say this, and let me ask us this question. Has anything changed in our society? Does this stuff happen anymore? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Because we still have the spirit of Babylon with us, right? Where, Where people are doing things they shouldn't do in public. I mean, we as in society, we just celebrated here in America a Pride Month, right? Crazy stuff. 
where, you know, drinking things that, that they shouldn't, enjoying parties that we shouldn't enjoy right now. How about this? We, this is what we do. We create whole days where we sort of make exceptions and we're like, hey, on that day, let's just get together and do some perverted things and drink a lot and just do evil stuff. What are some of these holidays? Mardi Gras comes to mind, you know what I mean? It's a Babylonian, it's got a Babylonian origin, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, you know, St. Patrick's Day, you know what I mean? And sure, it had, some, it had some Christian roots, but now it's just an excuse to get together and get drunk. New Year's Eve is another one. It's a new year, I'm going to throw up. What better way to start a fresh new year with just, just, than just throwing up? <laughs> Seriously, we have all these, cra- even Super Bowl, and I'm not saying... Don't watch the Super Bowl. No, but what we do as a society is, you know, let's just, this is an excuse to get drunk, eat nachos, and watch the halftime show that is becoming more and more evil and perverse. How about Halloween? Mom gets dressed up as a naughty nurse that does some shots and we terrorize children. Who came up with that idea? The spirit of Babylon. Now, you can celebrate some of these things in a very Christian way. I'm not going to get into that, but just get my heart behind this. We'll do the same perverse things for birthday parties, engagement parties, weddings. Hey, we're having a baby. Let's just drink some more. It's Friday. Let's just drink some more and do some evil stuff, right? What am I saying here? We kind of still have the spirit of Babylon at work in our lives, in our society, don't we? Three things are happening here that I can just pick up right away. And I think this is really what's happening in our society today. So you, you tell me if this is what you've, you notice in our society happening in this, in this season, in this generation. And the first thing is deviancy or abnormality. There's a lot of abnormal stuff that is going on. It mentions here in the text that the guests in the host party had their wives with them and their concubines. Now, why is that interesting? Well, in most ancient parties, when the guys would start drinking and partying, the women would leave. They would leave right away, and the reason is that it would turn really evil really fast, right? There's another book in the Bible called the book of Esther, right, where there's a queen that is hosting a state party with her husband, and it's time for the guys to get drinking and to start partying. So Esther, the queen, the Bible says, takes the women out to go somewhere else. Here in our text, they're all together. Why? It's going to get naughty. It's going to get perverse. It's going to get evil. And some of these girls were likely captured in war. They would call themselves slaves or trafficking victims, as we would call them today. I mean, this whole thing is just ungodly, unholy, and unacceptable. In addition, there's drunkenness. Does that sound familiar? This is just a drinking party, and the king gets up, and he's like, hey, let's just take some shots. And so he decides... To, to, hey, let's go drink out of God's cups, you know, the God of the Israel, the holy God. Let's just, you know, we, we, we looked in chapter 1, if you remember, chapter, all the way back in chapter 1, when the Babylonians conquered the nation of Israel. They plundered the temple. That's one of the things that they did. And they took all the articles from God's temple, the articles that were used for worship, sacred articles, right? In Ezra 1, as we just kind of finished Ezra 1 with, with our, our D groups, it tells us that they actually had 5,000 different articles largely made of gold that they stole from God. This was Grandpa Nebuchadnezzar, and it was all locked up, and he comes to this arrogant and proud king comes up with this crazy idea. Hey, let's go get those 
gold, you know, God's articles that belong to the real God, and everybody just get a, get a golden goblet. We're all going to get hammered and drink out of it to show that our gods are more powerful than their God, and then their God is just weak. How many of us, you see that this is probably isn't going in the right direction? <laughs> this is abnormality, what's going on here. This is the drunkenness. And then the, the ultimately, the third thing that I want to point out, this is public dishonor. And it's exactly what is going on in our society today, public dishonor. This is just their way of literally rebelling against God openly and publicly like we don't care anymore we're not going to hide this stuff anymore we're just going to uh, no we're just going to flaunt it in god's face to give you the equivalent this would be like imagine last night you're driving by the church and the lights are on and there's a lot of music the parking lot is packed and you're like hey is there a revival going on i never got called i'm a member at summit what's going on yeah, you walk in and it's full of people. They're not wearing enough clothes and there's perverted stuff going on the screens. Then imagine the baptism is set up, but it's not used for a baptism. It's turned into a hot tub party and dudes are ripping pages off of the Bible. They roll them up in joints and then they just break into the communion wine with the goblets and everybody's just getting hammered. That's the equivalent of what is happening here. Probably a lot worse, just to give us a little bit of a, an idea what's going on. The question is, where is God's line? Have you ever asked that question? When you hear some crazy news that I, I don't even want to say, just does your, does your stomach just like turn? And you want to ask, Lord, when are you going to intervene? Like what, when is, what, what is, where is your line, God? When are you going to step in and be just? When are you going to do that? Have you ever asked that question? Now, let me just say this. We've all got a line, don't we? And, and we're broken. We're sinful. We, we tell people, don't cross that line. Don't say that. Don't do that. Because there'll be consequences. If we have the right to have a line, God has a right to have a line, doesn't he? The question is, where is God's line? Well, let me just say, these guys found it. <laughs> these guys found it. Here's how the story moves forward. So let's... Let's continue our reading from verse 5 all the way to verse 12. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. Imagine being there. This is your human hand just right on the wall. Yeah, <laughs> pretty crazy. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And the king's collar changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, his collar changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because the words of the king and his lords came into the banquet hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or, or change. Sorry, I just lost my spot. 
<laughs> Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief to the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Now, all right, it's very simple, actually. When God shows up, people sober up. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> and all of a sudden, God shows up and the king saw a human hand writing on the wall and limbs, his limbs gave, gave way. Some commented to say that he had a bowel movement and his knees knocked together. He was arrogant, so arrogant, and now he's just terrified. So the party stops abruptly. Uh, yes, it, it, it would, because everyone was in shock, and the king started shouting, bring in the enchanters, bring in the Chaldeans and the wise men and the astrologers. I need help. This is just absolutely crazy what's going on. So these wise men come in. They're good for nothing. We've noticed that, at least, in the first few chapters. They all give it a shot, but they could not read the writing or what this whole thing meant. Then the king was greatly alarmed. Duh. His color changed. His lords were perplexed. Everyone was like, what is going on? They now have a God-sized problem. What are we going to do now? Additionally, we learn that there's a queen that enters the banquet hall because she hears the screaming and the, and the you know, uh, what the king was saying and what he was yelling. And Now, this queen, just so you know, it was not his wife. It's his grandma. We're already told in verse 2 that the wives were present. So his wife was present already. This is his grandma. This is Nebuchadnezzar's wife. She's an older woman, and, and she would have been regarded like the queen mother, uh, right? And, and the queen mother comes in, catching her son, so to speak, trashing dad's house by having a big party. And what happens here, the queen says, we got a guy, and we could, he could be really, really helpful. He helped us before. He was right on. We need to bring him into the equation. That's, that's, the first, that's what you want to do, king. Now, what you may not know, and by this time, Daniel is an old guy. He's probably in his 80s. Just like that. Like, what, what just happened? <laughs> Chapter 1, he was a teenager. Chapter 5 is roughly 70 years later. He is an older guy. He's been faithful to God, and at this point, he's basically retired. And then the key to this whole story, I believe, not, not to the whole story, but at least one main thing that I would love us to notice is that Daniel is chosen because he has the Holy Spirit. Not sure if you caught this, but three times in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar the king said that Daniel had the Spirit of God. Now, his wife, the queen mother, says Daniel has the Spirit of God. Here's the point. You and I need to live our faith openly and publicly and without any shame, okay? If everyone else gets to be proud of their things, we get to be proud of Jesus and everything, amen? Now, the pressure in our culture today is this. Keep it to yourself, don't preach to me. Don't talk about God to me. Keep it to yourself. That's it. Faith is a private matter. Don't, don't make it public. Daniel's faith is private, and Daniel's faith 
is public. That's what we call integrity. The way you are behind closed doors, you are in public and vice versa. Everybody knows who Daniel's God is because <laughs> he's loud about it. He's not, you know, he's not quiet and not saying, I'm, I, I'm not a Christian. No, I don't. What, what? No, I don't know God because that's who he worships and that's who he prays to and that's who he serves. Everybody's aware of that. And just a reminder to all of us, you and I live in Babylon. There's the Babylon spirit going on in our, in our society today as well. There will constantly be temptations to participate in that which is evil, in that which is abominable, ungodly, perverted in our, in our society. There will also be pressure to have our faith, to have your faith, to have my faith, not to be public so that we don't pay some sort of a price. Just keep quiet. You're not going to lose your job. Just shh, It's fine. Don't worry about it. Seriously. Um, but if we don't live our faith publicly, then they, don't, they won't know that we know God. They don't know that we, the world doesn't know that we know God. And then when they do need God, they won't call us because they don't know that we know God. Daniel lives his faith publicly, and all of a sudden, it's like, okay, we have a God-sized problem. We need God. Does anybody know God? Uh, I actually know a guy. The Spirit of God lives in him. Do your neighbors say that about you? Do they say that about me? Hmm. Let me just, let me just take the time. To remind us that the same Holy Spirit that empowered Daniel and the same Holy Spirit that empowered the life of Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit that, that rose Jesus from the grave, the same Holy Spirit is given to the children of God to live by the power of God and to demonstrate the character of Daniel and ultimately the Daniel of Jesus Christ. But did you know that, Christian? Did you know that? Do we know that? Do we know that, that the same spirit lives inside of us? How powerful, how awesome. Hmm. Let's continue with the story. And this is where we'll see where we see Daniel was, that he was brought in uh, before the king. Now, this is going to be a larger portion that we're going to read, verses 13 to 23. Just hang in there. Verses 13 to 23. It gets really good. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and, excellence with, and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise man, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation but they could not show the interpretation of, of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the, the ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. I love that. I love that answer. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. 
Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in, whom, in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Ooh, that's a, that's a mouthful. So here's Daniel, an old guy. I mean, he's old. I'm thinking of Clint Eastwood because he still has game. He still has game, trust me. And then, and then here's this young, arrogant kid, king. <laughs> and this is a conversation that we have between an old guy taking the young guy to the shed, taking him to school, whatever you want, however you want to say it. And this old guy looking at the young guy saying, son, you have no idea what you're doing. You're playing with fire. You're ruining your life, and you're ruining the life of everyone in your kingdom. You have no gratitude towards God. You're just spoiled, arrogant, and proud. Let me just say this. Apart from God, that's exactly our story. Apart from Jesus Christ, that's exactly our story. I don't care if you're raised in church. That's your story, right? Proud and arrogant, and all the time, because we think we can live life without God at the center of it, right? That, that was exactly the problem that was running in this family. King Nebuchadnezzar was proud, and, and he went crazy, because when you're proud and rebel against God, you just go crazy. Your mind is just taken away, right? But when you humble yourself before, before God, you're, you come to your senses. And now his grandson is proud, and he became hard-hearted. Pride is demonic. The first being to ever become proud was who? Satan. We live in a culture that honors pride, right? We, we have pride movements, and we have pride parades, and, and, and please do not make it the goal of your child raising to have them have good self-esteem, but humility, but repentance, but faith in God. That's what, that's what we should value. Our entire educational system is for pride and self-esteem, and there's nothing wrong with you. You're amazing. Everybody should celebrate you. Nothing needs to change. You're awesome. So God shows up through Daniel and says to the young king, your lifestyle is unacceptable to me. It may be popular. There may be a whole parade behind you, but I am against it, and this is a call to repentance so that you would change. Your grandpa lost his mind, son. His nails grew out. His hair grew out. He lived in the yard and ate stuff like grass and for seven years and slept outside. Pride is a problem with God. Just is. He was fed grass until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdoms of mankind. And you, his son, 
Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. That's what he said. Though you knew all of this. That's important. How many of us, God showed up in our parents' life, God showed up in our grandparents' life, and we know that God showed up and we still ignore him? Hmm. This is really about pride versus humility. That's what Daniel is saying. Let's pull a few principles here from the life of Daniel and then from the life of this young king, Belshazzar. These are two men that, that serve as case studies. So first, let's look at Daniel 3 principles and then uh, then this king belshazzar three principles now regarding daniel number one don't get caught up in power praise possessions or pleasure just don't just don't the king is telling daniel hey you can be third in command you can have the power you can have the praise and i'm i'm gonna tell everyone about what you've you know if you help me what you've done and you're gonna have so much gold you're gonna have so much pleasure whatever you desire is yours Listen, don't get caught up in those things. Just don't. Those things are fleeting, and they're passing, and the joy of the Lord is deeper. The joy of the Lord is much richer and never ends. Principle number two. The only way to conquer fear of men is by fear of the Lord. And I think we have a problem when it comes to this. I know I do. A little bit of a problem. The only way to conquer fear of men is with fear of God. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of men is a trap or a snare. How terrified would you be if, if, if you had to do Daniel's job? Just think about it. You've, you've already, they've already thrown your friends in the fiery furnace. A few, well, quite a few years for him, but a few chapters for us. I mean, his grandpa is Adolf Hitler of the Old Testament, I mean, this guy conquers nations, he plunders them, burns them to the ground, enslaves them, and if the Jewish people get out of line, just throw them in the fiery furnace. I mean, this is not a family that you want to pick a fight with. But Daniel is going to overcome fear of men with a fear of the Lord. Some of us, and I'm really preaching to myself here, some of us don't like to have hard conversations. Nah, that's not... I don't want any trouble. Some of us don't like conflict. And I'm not saying go out of your way to have conflict. That's not what I'm saying. Some of us don't like consequence. Some of us don't like, don't want any trouble, right? We, which means we have fear of men at some degree. But Daniel has love for his enemies. If you fear your enemies, you don't have love. That's not love. That's just saving your butt. That's what it is. Right? If, you, if you fear your enemies, you won't have love, the real kind of love that God wants us to have for our enemies. Because, right, so Daniel has love for his enemies because he has fear of God. So he no longer fears his enemies. He just knows what is right. He knows what to say. He knows what to do. That which is right, no matter the consequences. Now, when we speak to our enemies or anyone else, that truth that we convey that we should have no problem conveying. It should be all soaked in grace. Yes, let's not forget about that detail. But nevertheless, we should do and say what is right, no matter the consequences. And number three here, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's taken right out of the pages of the Bible. We saw earlier that Daniel would kneel before God. We saw that even in the previous chapters. And then he will stand before the king. 
Everyone else bowed down except for Daniel and his buddies. Here we see that if you kneel before God, you can stand before kings and nations and, and people that have power here on earth. So here's the point. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How, how did you get there, Ovi? See, if we, if we humble ourselves, God will lift us up when it's time. But kneeling in prayer... Kneeling in prayer, kneeling and worshiping is a demonstration of humility in the heart and in the soul. So the more you kneel before God, the more you worship him, you will see your position in humility. The more you do that, right? So if you have humility, then you'll have the integrity as you kneel before God to stand before kings and nations. That's the story of Daniel. How about Belshazzar? Let's look at a, some things that we can learn as we look at his life. Three things. And the first thing that really just, to me anyways, just really screams, unless God is your father, it's always like father, like son. Unless God is your father, it's always like father, like son. So we have this evolutionary myth of progress. And if we just wait, everybody's going to get better and things are going to look really, no, no, I, I don't know about you, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't seem like the world is a more loving and safer place to live in. The only way people change is they need to meet God personally and surrender their life to God. Then you join God's family. They're filled with the Spirit of God. They're conformed to the image of the Son of God. That's the only way real and lasting change happens. The only way. Otherwise, it's like father, like son. It's like neighbor. Like, it's, it's just, you're just going to conform to the image of this world. This is just generations of just drinking, brutality, perversity, and Nebuchadnezzar left the throne. His successor was murdered by his brother. They put another guy on the throne. He got killed in battle. Then they throw, they throw up this grandson, and he gets drunk and throws a party and literally declares war on God. Nothing's changed. It's three generations. How many of us, we don't learn from our family history? We just don't. Which is repeated just like our fathers. At least that's the story of this family. And number two, pride is a problem. Pride is a major problem. Pride is a problem to God. And it takes our mind away. It does. All of this is ultimately the fruit of the root of pride. And I'm not saying that pride is something that only some people struggle with. No, 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 no. All of us in this room struggle with pride. At some degree, right? The only difference is whether or not it's the landscape of your life, meaning are we fighting against it or are we just succumbing to it? Are you becoming more humble and less proud because you know your position and you're, and you're spending time with the Lord? You're in the Word. You're in church. You're, is that what you're doing? Are you, are you pursuing humility and becoming less proud? But don't must don't, this is such a reality for all of us. We all struggle with pride at some extent. So let me ask you this question. In what areas of your life are you proud? Areas of life where you look down on others? You're defiant? You feel like you've, you're the exception to the rule? You think that you're above the law? That you get to write your own life story and rules that govern your conduct? That's the heart of pride. That's the heart of the devil. And number three, do not mistreat God's 
holy vessels. Do not mistreat God's holy vessels. They had judgment come from God for using holy vessels in unholy ways. True? Very clear. Do you know what the Bible says about us if we are in Christ? Apostle Paul, more specifically. That we are holy vessels of God. I'll prove it to you. Picking up on this theme, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21 says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. If we are in Christ, we are God's holy vessels. If you're not in Christ, you are not a holy vessel. So what can easily happen is we can look at Daniel 5 and at the story and say, I can't believe they did that with God's cups. I just can't believe that. Then we also need to ask, what am I doing with God's body? With his vessel. Not only were they using the temple's sacred vessels as vessels at unholy, but they were also they also made unholy vessels because of the stuff that they were doing with their bodies. But repentance and change and holiness, it's God's way of cleansing us so that we can be pure vessels, rightly used, not wrongly used. But we can look at these people in Daniel 5 and say, I can't believe what they did with a cup. That was in the temple. And I I can't believe. And God would say, I can't believe what you do with your body. I'm just going to say it. Some people are gluttons. They don't care for the holy vessel. Some people are just drunkards. They don't care for the holy vessel. Some people are perverted. They don't care for the holy vessel. Some people are just self-medicating. They don't care for the holy vessel. And here's what I want us to know. It doesn't matter how dirty you've made the vessel. Jesus is the one who can make it clean. That's the good news. That's the awesome news. Jesus is the one who can make me clean and make you clean. And so what tends to happen, we think, okay, I've dirtied up my vessel. I'm dirty. But, but, but now Jesus comes to not only forgive our sin, but to make you clean, to make me clean. And he does so by putting his Holy Spirit in us to make us holy vessels. And he does it by his word as well. In the spirit of God that lived in Daniel, the same spirit of God that lived in Jesus, the same spirit of God that lives in you and in me makes us clean and pure. That's the awesome, that's the good news. Let me just say this as well. Daniel is still a holy vessel in the midst of an unholy nation. How was that possible? How was it possible? He comes clean, pure, serving God, being used for God's purposes. Here's what I want to say. I believe that some of us are not serving God. We're not getting involved we're not, because we believe we're too dirty. Seriously. I believe that some Christians are not freed from their past to enjoy their future, so to speak, because they're haunted with guilt, shame, condemnation from mistakes, errors, flaws, and failures of the past. Some of us are haunted, maybe. You know, we, we say, I can't believe that I did that with my body. I can't believe that I, I, I touched that. I can't believe that I smoked that. I can't believe that I drank that. I can't believe that I did that with that person. I'm so dirty. Forget it. God doesn't love me anymore. And here's the amazing promise. If we confess our sins, 
he's faithful to and just to forgive our sins and then what? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How beautiful is that? The one thing that this young king doesn't do is repent of his sin. So he's never made clean. How sad. And now that we're on this topic, how do you clean up your life? Well, really quickly, simply put, you have to be honest about the parts that are dirty in your life. And just come to God. God is inviting us to come to him, come to the cross, and just, and just open our heart. Lord, this is what's dirty about me. At least what, what, what you can remember and what you know. And that your body can be used as a holy vessel for God's purposes. But the moral of the story is do not mistreat God's holy vessels. This is all very sobering, but hopeful at the same time, right? This is the gospel, I feel. You know, you're a sinner, but there's hope. There's grace. Come. There are two men here, and, and, and the point is you can be like Daniel. We can be like Daniel, or we can be like this proud king. God welcomes all of us to receive King Jesus and to be a part of his kingdom, the kingdom of God, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you can be like this man, Daniel, rather than this other man, this proud king who ultimately dies without Christ. How sad. The story concludes with a very sobering truth, and that truth is that you never know how much time you have. You never know how much time you have. I don't know how much time I have, but I know that my life is in God's hands, and that's not because I'm good and I'm... no. That's because of the fact that he's good, because of his finished work on the cross. And I just trusted his finished work, and now I see change in my life, a broken man, that the Holy Spirit is still continuing in my life. Hmm. You never know how much time you have. And if you lost somebody and you didn't see it coming, maybe cancer or a car wreck, or that's because you never know how much time you have. Life moves on so quickly, and people are making plans for days that they do not have. Therefore, I just want us to be reminded that you never know how much time you have. Let's just read the last section. So verses 24 to verse 31, right at the very end of, of the chapter. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed. Let me butcher this, but I, I did look it up to see how to pronounce these words. I'm still going to butcher it. Mene, mene, tekel, imparsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an, to an end. Tekel, you have been weighted in the balances and found wanting. Aperes, you, your kingdom is divided and given to the Meds and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, it didn't matter that Daniel got all that. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius, the Med, received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. I don't know if you're here just stands on your skin when you read that. We see Daniel doesn't waste any time. He gets straight to the point and he says, God, number, number the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. It's over now, buddy. It took generations to build an empire. It took minutes for God to take it down. Poof. The point of the story, even if you get to the top of the kingdom on this planet, 
It's not a big deal. You should wait for the kingdom that never ends. That very night, listen, that very night, the prophecy that was given fulfilled that same day. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, right? That's what the Bible says. And, and, this, and this other king, Darius, that was 62, he, uh, he took the throne and the kingdom. Now we read this, and some people will judge God, and, and, and they forget that God is the judge. And some people will say, I don't like God doing this. That's offensive. But they do it in the same way that criminals don't like cops. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like, well, I don't like that. Well, you're a criminal. I, I, you know what I mean? Criminals don't like cops. That's not the cop's fault. It just isn't. You know what I mean? But that's exactly what we do. I don't like God. Well, you're a broken sinner and you see nothing. You're just, yeah. Anyways, what happens is people will come to this text and they'll say, see, that's why I cannot worship the God of the Bible. I can't. He's too angry. He's too harsh. He's too mean. He's violent. Let me say this, please, please. God is extremely patient. God is extremely good. Let me prove it to you. 150 years prior, not two months, not two weeks, 150 years prior, through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 13. Read it at home, please. Here's what God says. The oracle concerning Babylon, 150 years prior. So again, this is before they invaded this is before Daniel. This is long before anything. This, and it's starting with verse 17, actually. Behold, I'm stirring up the meds against them who have no regard for silver. Do not delight in gold. Their, their bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children in Babylon and the glory of kingdoms. The splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It's time it's, it's close at hand, and its days will not be prolonged. 150 years prior, Daniel being the chief Bible teacher in Babylon, as, uh, he was well aware of the prophecies in Isaiah and, and would have taught them, okay, okay, it says right here, guys, the clock is set, okay? It's coming. You need to repent. God waits 150 years. Let me ask you this. How many of you have waited 150 years Patiently in love for your enemies. How many of us? 150 years. God waited 150 years. Let me say, that's amazing. I'm not shocked at the end that God judges them. I'm shocked that he waited 150 years. Some people say, I don't know how God can send people to hell. Oh, that's so violent. That's, so, that's not a loving God. I'm still, I'm still perplexed at how he could get people to heaven. Because we're all broken. We've all broken his laws. I'm perplexed at that, actually. I mean, when we, we do wrong and we get judgment, that seems right. Because when someone wrongs us, we demand judgment, right? And the extraordinary thing that, that happened is that we did wrong and Jesus got the judgment. And by the way, we call that grace. And Daniel kept on saying, this is what the word of God says, guys. Hey, 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 listen. This is where we're headed. And the family kept saying, nah, nah, we don't believe the Bible, nah. Everyone who dies and stands before God without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ is in the same position as these Babylonians. The same position. God told you there's judgment. 
God told me there's judgment. God told you there's a, a heaven and hell. God told you there's life beyond the grave. And some people think this. Three things. Number one, that's not true. <laughs> Come on, man. Are you kidding me? This is a myth. It's not true. Number two, the Bible can't be trusted. Are you kidding me? And number three, I've got plenty of time. So the reality is that there's a little bit of Babylon in all of us. The reason people feel so secure is that they built some version of heaven on earth. And we do that too. Our small little kingdoms. When we look at the Babylonian empire, their empire was, was the biggest. Their military was the strongest. Their economy was the richest. Surrounding their capital, a city of Babylon, there was a massive walled compound. I mean, each empire would throw in another height, you know, another height on the wall, you know, so that they say, you know, ours is the biggest, you know. It was so large that you could run a chariot around it and turn the chariot around. I think Lucas touched on that the first chapter one. It was surrounded by a moat. It was a fortified city in which was the king's palace. In addition, they had years of food as rations, years of food as rations. They could grow food within the walls, you know, within the walls of the city. And they had the mighty Euphrates River flowing into it. They were impenetrable. They were undefeatable. This was heaven on earth. It was safe. It was rich. It was a kingdom of gold. I'm sure they said, well, we can eat and drink and play at our pleasure. Nothing can topple us. They were actually doing that that same night. They were destroyed. And let me just say this in regards to us today. We're all trying to build some heaven on earth. That's why we try to fill up our bank accounts and our fridge and our pantry. And we try to get everything we want and then we feel secure. I'm safe. I have no debt. If trouble comes, I've got the God of wealth to deliver me. Listen, I'm not saying that we should not be responsible. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's bad to have a house. It's bad to have a job. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's bad to be responsible. It's, it's bad to have. That's not what I'm saying. But if your plan and my plan isn't to trust the Lord, ultimately, whatever happens, you've got the wrong plan. They set up heaven on earth. It's counterfeit. This isn't heaven. Church, this isn't heaven. This isn't the kingdom of God. It is in a sense in our hearts, but not the physical kingdom of heaven. What happened to the Babylonian Empire, I'm not sure if you know this from history, is one of the most legendary stories in the history of war. An ancient historian reports what happened, and, and, and it was a legendary military move on behalf of the conquerors. Just, you know, uh, really quickly. The parties going on within the walls. What's outside the walls? Well, the joint military forces, the Medo Persian Empire. They, had, they actually, they actually they were plotting and planning, right? The king is like, nothing to worry about. We've got heaven on earth. Let's all get drunk and throw a party. No, no, no. While they were drinking and partying, these guys were plotting and planning. And as their city is under siege, they are ignoring reality and they're drinking heavily. They can't penetrate the wall. So what the advancing army decides is let's divert the Euphrates River. Let's divert it. What happens to a riverbed that dries up? It becomes a walkway under a wall into the city. How brilliant. They just walked right in. They walked right in and they conquered and they plundered and everything God promised came to pass. Let me say this, with all due respect, you're going to die. I'm going to die. And we will stand before a king. 
there will be a judgment and you will have an eternal destiny. The Bible is true. God will not be mocked. We reap what we sow. And the reality, and I want us to really hear this part, the reality is that all of us need to be forgiven. All of us. We all are unholy vessels. That's how we start off. We need the true king, and we need to be a part of the true kingdom. We need forgiveness and to be changed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. So ultimately, the moral of the story is everybody needs Jesus. And he stands with open arms. And he loves the true kind of love. The moral of the story is if your ultimate eternal fortress, if your ultimate strong palace, if my ultimate place of protection is anything or anyone other than King Jesus, you are in grave danger because only God is a secure fortress. In closing, I just want us to observe something really, really, really cool. I want us to see how Daniel is a type. He is an example. He is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. It's pretty fascinating. And here are some things that indicate that. Daniel watched Babylon fall in his day. Jesus will make the spirit of Babylon fall forever on the day of his second coming. Daniel and Jesus were both filled with the Holy Spirit. Daniel and Jesus lived far away from home in a hostile nation. Daniel and Jesus traveled through the world with a few faithful friends. Daniel and Jesus never got to enjoy marriage or parenting. Daniel and Jesus loved and served their enemies. Daniel saw the hand of God right on the wall. Jesus felt the hand of God nailed on a cross. Daniel saw the young, proud king endure the wrath of God for his sin. Our king Jesus endured our wrath for our sin. Daniel saw a king drink from a cup in sin. Our king Jesus drank our cup of sin. If you remember the story of the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his death, he prayed, Father, take this cup away from me. It was an unclean vessel. It was an unholy vessel. It was a cup Thanks for filled tuning with in your to the sin Church Garden and my City sin. Podcast. We hope this teaching the has brutal realities that our lives are just me. like the Babylonians. We say and we do the same things they said and did. And Jesus was a holy vessel, and he did not want to partake of that cup to make himself sin and to endure the wrath of God as they endured. But then Jesus surrendered his will to the Father, and he said, Not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. And Jesus went to the cross, and he drank the cup of your sin and God's wrath, so that you would receive what the Babylonians did not receive, which is forgiveness and cleansing and relationship with Jesus, a king, a kingdom that never ends, and new life through our King Jesus Christ. Again, I said all of that to say this. You do not have, you do not know how much time you've got. They had no idea that an entire kingdom that had ruled for decades would come down in minutes. Do not presume on the grace of God. Do not presume on the grace of God. Run to the grace of God. Run to the grace of God. Give yourself to Jesus. Get cleaned up and walk by his spirit. Let's stand. Father, you're so good to us. I thank you, Lord God, for your word. 
I thank you for this book, the book of Daniel, and I thank you for Daniel. That even though he lived so long ago, he's such an awesome example for us. But the amazing thing is that he points to you, Jesus. And that's why he's a good example for us, that he, because he points us to you. Lord, we're all broken in so many different ways. And Lord God, I thank you that for some of us here or all of us here, Lord Jesus, I'm not sure. I don't know people's hearts. That Lord God, you've saved us. You've forgiven us. You've taken us in, into your family. And that's because of what you have done on the cross for us. And you've given us, Lord God, the faith to believe and to accept this amazing gift. But if that's not the case for everyone here this morning, I want to pray for those people, Lord God, that are not saved, that are not in Christ, that are, that are not in your family. I just pray, Lord God, that you would use this word, your word, to just bear fruit and bear much fruit in their lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would save people. I pray that you would encourage us this morning, Father. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives, in the life of this church. Lord God, thank you. We've seen and we, we are seeing your hand at work, Lord God. And, and Lord God, I just want to thank you for all the things that you're going to do from now on, that you're going to build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you're so patient, but you're so just. Thank you for all that you are, for, 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 for all of that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we all pray and we say amen.